Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm a journalist based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, where today it is a beautiful rainy day, it's the right kind of rainy day for me. Um, the skies are grey and low, and it's not raining heavily, it's just kind of damp and dark and it feels kind of quiet outside. Everyone's just kind of scuttling around in the streets. I kind of like the atmosphere on days like this. It's a, a nice kind of bad weather. It has a good mood about it. And it's been a nice quiet week actually, here in Reykjavik. Um, I've had some good time to, to play a lot of games. Um, the main game that I played this week it was right off the back of Fez, actually. I had a great time playing Fez last week. I really enjoyed the uh, the pixel art and the kind of the retro style of it. And it made me kind of uh, hanker after another game of that aesthetic. And I didn't really have one on deck. I had a few games that I was thinking of playing, like uh, Fire Emblem and a couple of others, and they didn't quite click right after Fez. So I dived into the, uh, the Switch store, because there's a huge indie game sale on right now. And a game caught my eye that I've been thinking about playing for a while. It's a roguelike dungeon crawler from 2018. It's a, something of a, a cult hit, I would say. You know, a lot of people talk about it, but it's not exactly a, a big top of the eShop one. It is Moonlighter. So I played through that game this week and had a really nice time with it. And I'll tell you all about that in the featured game review. But before that, I'll tell you about a couple of other games that I played. I was happy to see, um, about a month ago, I think, um, Thomas Was Alone came to the Switch. It's another classic indie game. This time, it's the game that launched the, the Mike Bithell studio. Um, and it's on Switch. I kind of had mixed feelings when I saw that it was coming, because it's a game that has quite a bit of text, um, and the text is quite small. So I reached out to the Bithell studio, and they sent me over a code for Thomas Was Alone, and I've played through... Um, the first world. I'm happy to say the text looks great. It's really readable on that small screen. And it's another game that has a kind of a slightly retro, lo-fi look about it. It's a, a puzzle platformer in which you play a little rectangle called Thomas, and you just have to jump through puzzly environments with uh, difficult kind of uh, platforming puzzles that you have to figure out. Um, you play kind of single-player co-op. There are a bunch of different characters in this game that are just different geometric shapes that are attributed names and personalities. It's actually a really, really fun game. I, I've made an episode about it in the past, but I wanted to flag it up for people that are Switch players because it seemed to come out without much fanfare. So if you're interested in playing like a really fun, slightly retro-feeling puzzle platformer with a great narrative to it, it manages to make you feel a lot of emotions about just a bunch of small geometric shapes. It's kind of funny the way that it operates and kind of ingenious. And happy to say that it fares very well on the Switch. It feels at home on the Switch on that screen. Um, it also comes with a, a director's commentary from Mike Bithell, and I played through listening to that for the first time. And it was really fun to play through the game and have Mike's commentary in the background about the, the decisions they took in making the game the level design decisions, and how it all came together. So it's a, it's a hard recommend from me, Thomas Was Alone. If you're interested in hearing a full episode about the game, it's there in the, the podcast catalogue, so you can go back and hear it. It's not that expensive, great game, Thomas Was Alone. 
I also played a bit of Mirror Moon EP on Steam. I played it on the MacBook, and I've had my eye on this one too. It has a really cool art style. It's a first-person puzzle game this time, where you walk around the surface of a moon. Um, there is a, another moon up in the sky that kind of has similar-looking architecture to the one that you're on. Um, and it's really interesting, kind of esoteric game, where you wander around and there are these structures on the moon, and you seem to be able to influence the heavens a little, and you, you get different powers and different ways to influence this this very minimal moon that you're walking on. And it's very small. It has kind of a, a curvature to it. It's like Mario Galaxy or Outer Worlds. Like the planets are very small. You can walk around the entire equator in, in a couple of minutes or less. Um, but I did struggle with it. There's not much tutorializing with this one. Like it doesn't really help you very much in telling you what you're supposed to be doing. And so I kind of walked around, maybe it was because I played it quite late at night and I wasn't fully on the ball. It wasn't like I just had a morning coffee and my curiosity was uh, was feeling high. I just kind of wanted to have a little bit of fun and Mirror Moon seemed a little obscure to me. I struggled to get into the gameplay. I did make a couple things happen. Um, a, a little bit of progress occurred, but I kind of ran up against a wall quite quickly and found myself wandering around wondering what I should do next which isn't my favourite feeling um, right at the start of a game when you're just trying to orientate yourself and learn the controls. So I kind of bounced on Mirror Moon, but I think I'll come back to it and give it a second chance because it's 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 a very intriguing title. It seems like it has a kind of a cosmic mystery going on, but I, I bounced on it this time, but I'm, I'm going to come back to it. And finally, I've been playing um, Threes. A lot of people know about Threes because it was one of those kind of mobile sensation games like of the, of the Monument Valley type and the Angry Birds type. It's a, a another puzzle game. This time it's more of a straight-up puzzle. It looks more like a, a Sudoku or a crossword. It's a, a 4 by 4 grid, and a number appears on each grid from 3 to 6 to 12. And when you combine two threes, you get a 6. When you combine two sixes, you get a 12 and so forth. Um, and the grid stays the same size, so you have a very limited number of tiles available to you, and the grid gets crowded very quickly. So it's kind of a, a swipe game, so you swipe your three into another three, you swipe your two sixes together, and before long you find yourself with a very crowded um, board trying to combine numbers to get higher numbers. And let me see, I got up to number 384, so that was like a, a good amount of uh, combining different three base numbers. Um, and each tile has a voice, so that's a, an interesting thing about this game, is that the tiles kind of speak, and as you get a new high number on the board, it kind of introduces itself to you. So a little like Thomas was alone, um, it kind of anthropomorphizes these very basic elements to make you feel like they're people. I had a great time with threes and actually got very, very addicted to it for a while. I played it daily. Um, pretty much any time I was looking at my phone, I was playing threes there. Um, and it just came to Apple Arcade for free. In the past, it was a paid game, but Apple Arcade revealed like a new lineup of classic mobile games, including Oregon Trail and Reigns and uh, Monument Valley, actually, and games like that. So if you sign up for Apple Arcade these days, you get quite a lot of classic games that weren't there before. Um, so I had a great time with Threes. It's a, it's a good time waster, and it's quite ingenious. It feels like they just nailed the formula so well. It's one of those games that has a kind of a tetris perfection to it. Um, so if you have Apple Arcade and you like uh, number games, I had a great time with Threes, and I recommend it. 
Um, two more games have come onto my radar for future episodes. Um, I have now Paradise Killer, which is an interesting uh, first-person whodunit game set in a really strange neon pop art sci-fi world where the council of this world has been murdered in a locked room. And you are one of the, the gods that exists in this strange city. I think there seems to be about 12 or 15 different gods of different types, like technological gods or gods that relate to different aspects of being. Um, and you've been summoned back from exile to solve a murder. Um, and this is a really interesting game. Um, it strikes me a little that it's kind of like a based a little bit on Disco Elysium, maybe, another detective game, although this one seems to be more about the detection aspect. You have a computer called Starlight, and every time you find a clue or have a conversation, your computer will uh, make notes and files on all of the people that you meet, um, and you have to kind of try and string together some evidence, a chain of evidence, to find out who has done the crime and then present your evidence to the judge, and that's the finale of the game. I've played an hour of it, just to get my feet under the table and see what it's like, and it's quite interesting. I haven't played anything quite like it. It's an odd game, and so I'm looking forward to playing more Paradise Killer um, over the coming weeks, and I'm sure I'll be doing an episode about it. Um, I also have Iris the Giant. This is a hand-drawn kind of fairy tale vibes game, which is a deck builder with turn-based combat, and so to progress through the story, you have to assemble uh, a deck of different actions that you can then use in turn-based combat to take out the foes before you and progress in the story. It's got a beautiful aesthetic to it. I love the fairy tale aesthetic of games like Child of Light and uh, Rookie. And Iris and the Giant definitely has that vibe to it. It was on a Steam sale, so I picked it up pretty cheap. Um, maybe what pushed me over the edge with that one was that it was Brad Galloway's Game of the Year for 2020. He's the host of the So Video Games podcast. And Brad has um, a good head on his shoulders and interesting taste in games. So I thought, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give Iris and the Giant a go. I haven't opened it up yet, but I've added it to my playlist. So expect to hear episodes about Paradise Killer and Iris and the Giant in the coming weeks. And before I get on to talking about Moonlight, I will just quickly mention that Gaming in the Wild is listener-supported. We have a lovely little Discord of um, people who listen to the show and just some friends, and we all chat about what we're playing. We share screenshots and we share top fives. Uh, one of our users, Hopple, um, posted a question in the top five board on our Discord asking about which are your favourite game thumbnails and posted his favourites. So I went and looked through my Switch catalogue and put together my five favourite thumbnails and took a screenshot. So we have conversations like that. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting extra content and taking part in our Discord, um, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and join in for as little as one dollar, euro or pound a month. Um, every little helps and it helps me to improve the show, helps to grow the community around the show. So thank you very much to all of my patrons and thank you to you if that's something you would consider. That's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with that out of the way, let's move on and talk about Moonlighter. So Moonlighter is an indie game that came out 
in 2018. It came out on May 29th, which is my birthday, which must be a sign of luck, so this must be a lucky game. It was developed by Digital Sun and published by 11-Bit Studios and Merge. And it's interesting trying to describe games sometimes. I love seeing how developers describe their own games. I'll kind of write down my own attempt and then check out what they said and see if it matches up. And on their Wikipedia, they describe this game as an action RPG and business simulation, which is a really funny way to phrase the gameplay. Um, what I wrote was a little bit more wordy. I wrote that it's a top-down pixel art roguelite dungeon crawler with shopkeeping gameplay and light RPG story elements. And in this game, you play as a young man called Will, and he has inherited a shop called Moonlighter in the small rundown village of Rinoka. Um, and in the town of Rinoka, it's a rundown, kind of tumbleweed, western feeling town with a kind of a fantasy atmosphere to it, a rural atmosphere to it, with plants growing, trees and uh, wind sweeping across the town, and a notice board in the village square, and a couple of people walking around that you can talk to. Um, the style of the visuals is is pixel art, but it's not the super crunchy, blocky pixel art. It's a modern feeling pixel art game. Um, the, the music, as you can hear, is quite gamey in its way. It's quite retro, kind of MIDI sound to the whole thing. Um, and in the town of Rinoka, um, it's a town that was once prosperous and has fallen on hard times. And that's because at the head of the town, there are four mysterious doorways that lead into different dungeons. And the town has been based, the economy of this town has been based on coming into the dungeons and then finding things to sell and people coming to visit the town to buy these strange artifacts from underground. But because of uh, deaths and people going missing, um, all but one of the dungeons has been boarded up and locked up. And there is a mysterious large fifth gate that no one's ever been inside. And in the town there are different classes of people. There are shopkeepers and so forth. There are heroes, they're kind of big sword-wielding armor-clad guys who go into the dungeons with the aim of getting to the bottom and slaying the beasts that live there. And then there are the merchants who head down into the dungeon with the aim of collecting as many artifacts as possible and then getting out safely. Will is from the merchant class. Um, he runs Moonlighter after his grandfather went missing, trying to find artifacts and un untangle the mysteries of the dungeons. But there is an old elder who tries to teach Will about how he should be careful when he goes down there and to give him tips about um, being a successful merchant. And so the, the first dungeon that is open is called the Golem Dungeon. And you, you go up there to the four doors, you go into the first one. It has a kind of a green energetic surface and it whisks you down into the dungeon and when you're down there you have uh, some quite basic gameplay mechanics you can strike you can do a charged strike you can uh, dodge which also acts as a jump and and that's kind of it and you can interact with stuff and so you're taken through quite a gentle tutorial take out a few enemies get a few artifacts and then you come into a very very difficult room you're beaten uh, and you're kicked out of the doorway and you have two different places to store artifacts. You can store them on your person, which has five slots for your pockets, or you can store them in your bag, which has, I think, 16 slots or 15 slots. But if you die down there, you lose everything that was in your bag, so you just have a couple of things that you found. But if you successfully complete a dungeon run, um, which you can do at any time, you can uh, decide that you've got enough artifacts for now, and you can beam out of the dungeon back to the village 
um, and escape safely. And the only other way to complete a dungeon is to get all the way down to the bottom and take out the boss that resides there. So it's some quite satisfying uh, dungeon crawler type gameplay. The doors lock when you come into rooms, enemies appear, and you have to take them all out, evade their attacks, learn their patterns. You can then collect all of the artifacts that they drop. A chest will unlock in the middle of the room. The doors will unlock and you'll sort out your inventory, uh, discard the things that are cheaper, keep the things that are more expensive, and then make your way back to the village. And then when you get back to the village, there is a whole separate part um, it feels a little bit like uh, A Link to the Past. It's like a little village, like a Kakariko village. Um, and you go into your shop, you can set up the artifacts that you found on shelves, on display cases. You can set the price, and then you open the doors of your shop, and customers start trickling in, and they'll look at your wares. And if the price is too low, they'll get a little icon that's like a kind of an icon of joy, a little smiley over their head, um, and they'll come and buy it happily and gleefully. If the price is way too high, they'll a, mis a little miserable emoji will appear, and you'll know that you've set the price too high. And if the price is just right, then they give a smile, and you get a little chime, and you know that you've set the price right. And the aim of this is to try and find a good price for each art new artifact type that you find, sell them all, and then you can use that money to upgrade yourself. You can upgrade your weapons at the blacksmith. You can get health potions, which are going to be invaluable to you. And you can upgrade Will himself. And there are various ways for you to spend the money. You can upgrade the Moonlighter's shop. Um, and as you progress through the game, you can do improvements to the town itself by bringing in uh, new types of merchant and uh, renovating rundown old houses to become new shops. And so this is quite a satisfying, comfortable kind of gameplay loop. You have these action-packed segments when you're trying to get further down into the dungeon. Each one has three floors. Um, and then you have this kind of gentle uh, shopkeeper gameplay, which has a, a feeling of a kind of an old-school uh, Super Nintendo kind of RPG about it. And it's a really nice balance. It's enough to keep your brain ticking quite nicely. Um, the, the layouts of the dungeons change every time, so you never quite get the same layout. The map changes, and you'll you'll find little signifiers that you're on the right track to the uh, the final room of each dungeon, so you can go down to the next level. Like there is a healing pool that almost always appears before the the floor's boss, um, so you'll know that you're on the right track. But the layout will be different every time, so it stays fresh. Um, and I sometimes struggle with roguelikes because I feel like when you die, you just kind of go straight back to the start and you have to repeat yourself. But much as Hades has shown us and other roguelikes have shown us, there has been an evolution in this genre towards storytelling and towards a feeling of sustained progress. And that's what really keeps me invested in this type of game. As much as I do like the, uh, the dungeon diving, um, arcade -y gameplay, if I just go back to the start, like in, say, Dead Cells, I kind of bounced on that game pretty hard because I felt like I was just like a, in a hamster wheel of gameplay. But in games like Hades and more recently Going Under and, uh, and Moonlighter, there is a, a, a thread of improving yourself every time, improving your chances every time, learning more about the story every time with different snatches of dialogue. Every time you complete a new floor of a dungeon or every time you complete a dungeon... You'll have some new dialogue options from the, the various characters in the village. And so you feel like you're really getting somewhere. And I found that quite satisfying.
it's an easy game to play. It's an easy game to like if you if you are a fan of the the roguelite dungeon crawler type game and the kind of pixel art aesthetic. It's a really genuinely comfortable feeling and likable game. So I found that there was quite a lot to like about Moon, Moonlighter. I really enjoyed the progression. I really enjoyed upgrading my shop and learning the secrets of Ryoka and of the mines. And the, the boss battles are really cool. Um, they're really surprising and really exciting, actually. Most of the enemies in the game are pretty small on the screen. And so when you come up against like a giant boss with this really cool artwork and different attack patterns to learn, it was it was really eye-opening and eye-popping and kind of super enjoyable. Um, that's that's the main feeling I came away with about Moonlighter is that it's kind of it's a well-designed game. Um, it's nice to look at. It's nice to play. It just feels familiar, but with enough of a twist to make it feel fresh as well. Um, I enjoyed the story. I liked um, upgrading the town. It feels a little bit like Hollow Knight, if you've played that game. And that when you first arrive in Dirtmouth in Hollow Knight, it's a very, very rundown town. There's just one old elder living there. But as you progress and as you succeed in Hollow Knight, more life comes to the town because of your exploits. And it really does feel like you're rejuvenating this town, um, which gives you a, a nice and very necessary momentum to continue playing. It sidesteps that roguelike problem of feeling like you're just doing the same thing again and again. Um, the game is quite nicely balanced in that as you upgrade your equipment, as you get better healing potions that allow you to get further, um, as you get better armor, you really do feel like you're progressing deeper every time. Um, there's a really nice solid feeling of constant progression in the game. I played it on the normal difficulty, which is the lowest difficulty. It says at the start of the game that you're supposed to play it on hard, that's how it was intended, and then there is a very hard uh, setting also. Um, I find the normal pretty challenging up until the very last dungeon, and I was thinking, wow, if this is the normal difficulty, I can only imagine what it's like at the higher difficulties. Um, but I realised hilariously on the last dungeon that I had completely missed two of the different types of armour that it's possible to craft. When you come to the blacksmith store, um, there's kind of different upgrades that you can scroll through with the shoulder button. So you can upgrade your swords, your bows, your giant swords, um, your shield, and all of these different kinds of weapons that you can have, your spear and your bow and arrow, um, and also your armor. And each there's two types of each weapon. Um, and I realized very late in the game that if you push down in the armor menu, which looks like it just has two types of helmet that you can buy and upgrade, you can also get a breastplate chain of armor, and you can also get armored boots. And so what I'd been doing is playing a, a regular difficulty, but with about half of the total health that you're supposed to play the game on in, in that difficulty setting. And so once I'd kind of just done a little bit of grinding for different artifacts and ingredients and um, got myself the full armor, suddenly I had double the health that I'd had before. And I'd been really struggling through these dungeons and feeling like it was quite tough, kind of enjoyably tough, actually. And then I kind of, once I had the full health uh, amount and all of the different armor, I just breezed through the finale of the game. So I do actually think that um, if you play the game correctly, and I'm by no means uh, good at these kind of games, 
that hard might have been correct, that the developers might have judged the difficulty just right. I just ended up doing it a weird way. Um, but that said, it's not a perfect game. I've got a couple of notes here of things that I thought could have been improved or were missteps. Um, as you're moving through the dungeons, you'll find sometimes an empty room with a tent in it, and someone has left behind a diary. And you can read these little snatches of diary that seem to be from uh, people that have dived this dungeon before, and they sort of uh, extol their theories about the nature of these dungeons and why they are the way they are. And sometimes it seems like the diary is the diary of your grandfather, who uh, did try to access all of these dungeons. Sometimes it seems like they are the campsites of random adventurers, maybe. It feels like there are maybe a couple of different voices in these diaries that you find. Um, and then occasionally you'll find, next to the healing pools, you'll find little podiums that have different kinds of notes on them that seem to be from someone else again. Uh, but none of them, it's not clear who any of the authors are. And so this is a large part of how the game delivers story to you. And so I think that I actually missed out on what the game was trying to tell me. I wasn't quite able to take the information that was given and piece together the story in my head. And so when the big finale of the game came, and it is worth getting to, I was like a little nonplussed. I was like, oh, that's what was going on. I kind of, the clues hadn't given me enough investment in that to, to really be excited for that finale. And it was quite cool. Um, so I think that they could have told the story better. Um, it was a little mixed up and a little underdeveloped, the way that they delivered story to you. And there were a couple of other elements that are also underdeveloped. For example, when you open your shop, um, you'll get different kinds of customer that will come in. But it feels like they're all the same person, like there aren't enough character models. So there's one backpacker who has like ginger hair. There's one old man with a walking stick and a bald head and a beard. There's one old woman who has a shawl um, and she's kind of hunched over. And they'll come in, buy stuff and leave. And then another old woman or another ginger-haired backpacker will come in. And you just kind of feel like this is the same three people, just buying stuff, leaving, coming back and buying more stuff. Um, and out in the village as well, like there are many villagers, there are maybe 15 villagers that you can talk to. Only two or three of them have original dialogue and the other 10 or 12 will just parrot the same two lines of dialogue. Uh, which really undermines the feeling of this being an actual place. And it seems like a bit of a shame to me, because if you're going to go to all of the, the effort of making this beautiful-looking pixel art village with all of these denizens walking around, um, and this is the breather between your different dungeon expeditions, but it's also the reason that you keep going back, is the dialogue and the story, they could have gone the extra mile there and just given each character uh, a different voice, just a little bit more writing, you know? And uh, they could have mixed it up a little bit. You know, if there are 10 different character models that come into your shop, but you're going to get 30 customers, why not just make 30 character models and actually have it feel like a shop? Um, so that felt a little lame, that they had kind of skimped a little on the different characters and on the dialogue options that you'll get. So if you combine that with the story, um, it's a little undercooked in that respect. And I think that one of the reasons that games like Hades, which is such a big beacon for this genre, was such a success is that they really went to town on the dialogue. Like, you'll get different dialogue from everyone based on what you just did, and what you just did could have been hundreds of different outcomes. And you'll get different uh, dialogue based on the weapon that you're carrying, and different items that you found, or different plot elements that you've uncovered. 
And so it feels very vibrant, it feels very responsive, and it feels like a deep world that you're going into. And by comparison to that, Moonlighter feels very, very, very basic. Um, the dialogue options are few, the characters are small, um, they don't have big personalities, um, they don't have big things to say to you. And so it does feel very underdeveloped in that way, but it's, I mean, Hades, it's not fair to compare every roguelike to Hades because that game is just so spectacular and such a crowning achievement of the genre. It wipes the floor with everything else. Um, and this genre is a little bit based on small gameplay loops, a little bit of plot, and that's kind of what you get. So Moonlighter is a, a kind of a lesser entry in the genre, but that's not to say it isn't a very well-formed game. It's, uh, it's very cool, it's very fun, it's light, it's enjoyable. I would also say that I, I'd sometimes wished for better attack options. Um, you can carry two weapons at a time, and so you can use your bow and your big sword, which is the two that I settled on and stuck with for the whole game. But there aren't really any special attacks. Um, for example, uh, sometimes in a boss fight, I felt like I wished that I'd been able to charge up my attack um, a little more to unleash like an area attack or that I had had so, sort of special bombs or something like that, something that you could unleash at desperate moments. And that's not really there. You're kind of stuck with your basic weapons. Um, but it doesn't... I mean, I did enjoy these boss fights. I did enjoy the game. I'm not going to shit on Moonlighter. I think it's uh, actually pretty good. Uh, the Metacritic score of between 7 and 8 out of 10 seems fair. Um, I would recommend it. It's currently on sale for, I think, until the 25th of April for £6, and there is a definitive edition that gives you an extra dungeon of DLC available for £1 extra. I ended up buying the DLC for £4 because I didn't buy the definitive edition at first, so if you're interested in Moonlighter, I do recommend getting that uh, definitive edition with the extra content because the game is uh, super enjoyable, it does earn your time, it feels like there is a, a nice amount of story, a nice amount of progression, a cosy gameplay loop. That's Moonlighter. So that's Moonlighter. I hope you enjoyed hearing about it. A really lovely little game. Um, I am feeling a little, because of Fez and Moonlighter, I'm feeling a little drawn to these kind of pixel art retro experiences. And so yeah, I think I might try and seek out a little more, see what's going on uh, in that genre. There's a lot of games out there of that type, and so it's quite intriguing to me now that I've kind of fallen into the a little moment where I'm appreciating these kind of games more. Um, I'll do a little bit more exploration and see what I can unearth. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week with a new one. Um, if you would like to follow me on social media, you can find Gaming in the Wild on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Twitch. If you're interested in supporting the show and helping me upgrade my equipment and stuff and joining the show's Discord community for sale recommendations and chats and screenshots and sharing all of the games that we're playing, um, you can join up at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Thank you very much to everyone who wants to do that. And a big thank you to all my existing patrons. Thank you very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>